Hey, y'all, Cable here, and this week's podcast brought to you by the Go Wild app. If you're tired of the hate on social media, uh, just people, spiteful people, talking down to you because you enjoy hunting or fishing, uh, then you need to go over to Go Wild. It's free for iPhone and Android users. It is a welcoming community made up of outdoor enthusiasts. So whether you want to share your latest catch or harvest or uh, a recipe or just a photo of God's great outdoors, you can do it all on the Go Wild app. I'll see you over there. I have seen the whites of your knuckles And I've seen the blood in your spit You can give up You can give in But you can never Good morning, good morning, good morning, Cable Smith. Welcoming everybody to the Lone Star Outdoors show. So happy to be here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. Thanks for dropping by today. I certainly appreciate you as we've got a lot to get into. And man, if it would ever stop raining in Texas, I, I know I would certainly appreciate that. Thankful that God is giving us the rain, but geez, it's making it hard getting around the Deerleys, both in uh, on the Oklahoma side uh, and on the Texas side, both of my places just inundated. And I'll be honest, I am I'm scared to take the truck out there, even with four-wheel drive. Uh, we've had 11-plus inches uh, at both leases this week. And uh, I think that is due to that hurricane that hit Florida. And now we've got another one coming up on the west side, of uh, coming up from Mexico. So that is where this weekend's rain is supposed to be originating from. Either way, uh, if you can get out to your lease or your farm, or if you hunt public land, uh, I know a lot of the country has just been dumped on. So it's made for an interesting start to uh, the beginning of whitetail archery season for a lot of folks. Uh, anyway, we have got a great show lined up for you. We're going to talk some whitetails. Uh, we're going to talk some fishing. And we're going to talk some bears. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff today. So you know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee because we are ready to get things going here. And off the top, we will be joined by a trio of professional bass fishermen. As you might have heard, there's been a seismic shift in the direction the sport is going as angler after angler pledged their allegiance to the newly formed Major League Fishing Bass Pro Tour, uh, leaving the Elite Series and FLW in their dust. And so three of those 80 anglers who will make up the new uh, Bass Pro Tour will join us today for a roundtable discussion as to why they did what they did and where the future of the sport is going under the direction of Major League Fishing so Brent Ayler, longtime friend of the show, Kelly Jordan as well, and then uh, Chris Lane. We looked into having Chris on as a part of this discussion as well. So uh, 2012 Bassmaster Classic champion. They will all be here for an in-depth discussion momentarily. Then, uh, if you haven't heard, the cattle fever tick can't affect white-tailed deer. Uh, it hasn't really been uh, a threat since the 1970s as far as uh, cattle are concerned. But there is growing cause for concern around the Port Mansfield, Texas area that these uh, animals, and a lot of it has to do with uh, Nilgai antelope as well. 
uh, that they could start spreading this cattle fever tick to other parts of the state as they uh, try to move north. So the USDA uh, and uh, in partnership with a couple other organizations recently conducted a deer cull down in that area, killing over 100 deer and building a high fence uh, along Highway, I believe, 186 to prevent these deer from moving uh, farther north and, and the antelope as well. So Dr. Donald Thomas of the USDA, he's an entomologist. Uh, he'll join us to discuss that situation and its implications coming up in a minute. And then at the end of the broadcast, Corey Mason, our good friend, executive director of Dallas Safari Club, will be here. And we've got to uh, dive into this grizzly bear issue. Once again, we've seen emotional reactions overrule sound scientific wildlife management. And the planned grizzly hunt uh, for Wyoming has been canceled by a federal judge who relisted the grizzly bear on the endangered species list, despite trained wildlife biologists uh, advising that a hunt was necessary and that the grizzly bear is fully recovered in the lower 48. So just pure idiocy once again on that front. Uh, we'll discuss it with Corey as well as the upcoming DSC convention, among other things. That's what's on the docket for today. Let's do uh, Let's do this. Let's do a... Uh, well, first I need to tell you about our October Photo of the Month contest. We've got a Kofiager Industries ambush that you can put... It's compatible with basically any box blind. Uh, it's just the latest innovation from Kofiager. And the entire system retails for like 580 bucks. So a hell of a prize for you this month. Send in your best outdoor photo to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. Post it on our Facebook page wall or tag me on Instagram using that LSOS photo contest hashtag. We'll get you entered and one of you guys will win the Kofiager ambush. And then our monthly winners from 2018 will square off at the end of the year for a chance to hunt trophy axis deer or black buck with me down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. What else here? Let's do a quick giveaway. I've got, what do I have for you today? It looks like a three-pack of Slick Trick Grizzly Trick Broadheads, 125 grain. These things do some serious damage, and we'll throw in a Lone Star Outdoors Show sticker. So email the word broadhead, that's broadhead, to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com, and you could win the Slick Trick Grizz Tricks. We'll be right back with three of professional bass fishing's finest right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable here for iSocialBoost.com, a tool that many outdoor enthusiasts are using to grow their Instagram audiences. And if you're growing your Instagram audience, you're growing your brand. I recently let iSocialBoost.com take over a new page I created, and the growth has been incredible. iSocialBoost can help you expand your audience to heights you never imagined. Plus, you'll save 80%, that's right, 80% off your first week if you use my promo code LONESTAR. That's Lone Star at iSocialBoost.com. These are real followers who engage on a regular basis. Check it out, iSocialBoost.com. 
Howdy, folks. I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Like red wine and tequila, we're a bad combination. All we feel together is a sick frustration. I got some rough edges, and you're smooth and refined. We do all out right apart, but we're terrible combined. We should have known better. Now it feels like hell. Red wine and tequila, baby. We don't mix. Cable Smith, well. welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. That's Owen Temple's Red Wine and Tequila. Love that tune there. I'm so glad that you fine folks are here today as we are talking hunting and fishing. And we're going to talk some bass fishing here momentarily as the world of professional bass fishing had a seismic shift in the way things are, are going to be going forward. Angler after angler just kept announcing on their social media platforms that they were leaving the Elite Series or FLW Tour and were going to be fishing, Major League Fishing, full time. Uh, so we've got a special roundtable lined up with longtime friends of the show, Kelly Jordan and Brent Ayler. Um, and also, we lucked into having 2012 Bassmaster Classic champion Chris Lane join the conversation as well. I believe uh, Kelly was on the phone with him when Brent and I paged in. And so uh, I said, well, hey, just throw Chris on here too. <laughs> and he was uh, more than happy to do that. So we've got three awesome guests set to join us here in just a second. But first... Uh, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. You know, land, that's the one thing they're not making any more of. Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping folks finance their own piece of Texas for over 100 years. They'll do the same for you. If you're ready to take that plunge and uh, purchase your own piece of paradise, whether that's for recreating, hunting, or just to get away from the big city, Lone Star Ag Credit has you covered. You can find them at Lone Star agcredit.com. All right. Uh, well, let's go ahead and bring on our good friends, Kelly Jordan, Brent Ayler, and Chris Lane. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Certainly appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. Heck yeah. We had this thing planned for, for uh, Brent and Kelly, and then Kelly was on the phone with Chris Lane, so he got suckered in as well. So we're glad to have you, Chris. Um, and glad to be on. Absolutely. So a couple weeks ago, the world of professional bass fishing was turned upside down as angler after angler announced they would be leaving BASS and the Elite Series and fishing the new Major League Fishing Bass Pro Tour. Uh, I can't say I've ever seen anything like this before. Uh, so you guys are original Major League Fishing members. I know Kelly and Brent are. I know uh, Chris, I believe you fished it as well. So... Kelly, how did this thing take life initially as far as uh, why, the, why the change in direction for all of you? Well, uh, Major League Fishing uh, is actually about 10 years old. We've been working on this for a long time. You know, the, the group of anglers got together and just looked for, different, you know, better opportunities, new opportunities for exposure and competition. And I mean, that's what we do. That's what we make our living doing is competing in this great sport of bass fishing. So most people are aware of Major League Fishing Cubs, what they've been. Um, you know, we've had those... Uh, uh, for seven years now. Mm -hmm. We're going into our eighth year right now. And then, man, stuff keeps going. We, we, we grew. We had, we had a growth spurt in the middle of that. We, we came out with the selects. We started with two events that were major league cup events. And then I think about four or five years ago, 
We had the select events, which was like a qualifying uh, deal that also offered a lot of uh, exposure and, and competition for guys that wanted to be try out this, you know, our system that we had and qualify into our cup events. And then that, uh, you know, came along, and then we've had four events each year in Major League Fishing, two select events and two cup events, and kind of came up against the wall, and uh, we had uh, we have had a lot of opportunity for expanding growth because we kind of got as far as we could go with those four events. And, and so we've kind of been looking at, you know, expanding the, the opportunities for our anglers for a long time. And then uh, just stuff lined up, sponsors' involvement, uh, 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 wanting to be a particip- participation, and then just this new uh, branch out of, of a, just a whole new way to present the sport of bass fishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, finally came came about. We've been working on this for a long time, and uh, finally uh, the timing was right and everything, and we we had our, launched our new um, tour, and then uh, you know here we are. And it's like I said, this isn't a this isn't something that happened overnight. It's been planned for a long time and worked on. It's just an expanded growth for our very successful Major League Fishing platform. Right on. Well, Brent, let me ask you, was there a lot of displeasure with uh, BASS and the Elite Series? And I know you've, you you originally came from the FLW Tour, so you've, you've fished them all. Were you guys unhappy? You know, it's uh, I'm in a unique position because I'm fairly new over on the bass side. Uh, th- this was my fourth season being over there. I fished FLW for 10 years, and, you know, the, the displeasure I heard from other anglers was something I haven't seen yet because I haven't been there for the life cycle of, of bass. You know, I haven't been there for my entire career. Um, but having said that, I, I, you know, I really enjoyed fishing bass because that's something that I grew up watching. The Bassmaster Classic was something that I always wanted to win. Um, you know, an elite series was something that I always have always wanted to win. And, you know, my displeasure right now is the fact that I have not accomplished any of my goals on the bass side. But I'm really excited about the opportunities that are happening with Major League Fishing. So I was uh, in the very first event at, at Lake Amistad back years ago with Major League Fishing and have been involved with them from when they started. And so... It's very dear to my heart as well, and so you won you know, that first event too, by the way. Just I did, you, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You beat me. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, 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 I did forget. I did forget. <laughs> yeah, it was so didn't. long ago. Right. So, uh, you know, fun event. It's such a neat format. Uh, such a great TV show, and I'm excited to see how things pan out in the future here. Because to to come out with a new circuit like this that's different than anything else out there. And then have 80 of the best guys in the industry is, is going to be fun to see. You know, we, we have an unbelievable amount of fishermen. It doesn't make it easy on any of us because we're competing against the top there is. You know, there's no water downfields anywhere. This is the best of the best, and it's going to be hard to compete. But guess mm-hmm. what? If I go out there and win, I know I deserve to win because I fished against the best. And my whole thing is if you want to be the best, you have to beat the best. And in Major League Fishing, if you win, you, you literally beat the best fishermen out there. So yeah. I'm excited to be there. I, I have no complaints with anything I've done in the past. I love fishing with FLW. They're amazing people. I had a great time fishing with bass, and they're amazing people as well. I have no regrets on anything that I've ever done. Uh, 
you know, unfortunately, the only regrets that I just don't have any titles over there on the bass side. That would have been neat to have just for me personally. A lot of close calls for you, as we, we've talked about over the years. Uh, you know, day three, you're in the lead, and, and somehow, not that you lost the tournament. Other guys just uh, ended up winning, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I've had a couple close ones, and, you know, just hasn't quite happened. You know, that's just the way the way it is. Things things happen for a reason. You know, I've I lost the first classic three different times, you know, and I've I've you know, three different occasions, you know, lost it for me. You lost fish and um you know, just things happen for a reason and a lot of times it's not for the better for you and a lot I was of times trying to say you didn't lose it, but there you go saying it was your fault, so uh you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I've had plenty of things that are my fault so yeah well uh so you have a uh major league fishing win so does kelly uh chris is a bassmaster classic champion and that's what i wanted to ask uh chris is so for me personally as a fan of the sport nothing has the allure but i mean even the term bassmaster classic i mean it gets you excited so i i assume that is going to be a thing of the past i mean i don't maybe they're still going to have it i don't know how things look for for bass at this point but chris as a classic winner uh, what is Major League Fishing's version of that? Well, I believe that's the Red Crest, correct, Kelly? It's going to be the World Championship. Um, yeah, it's our Tour Championship, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the great thing about that is it's um, it's going to involve the the outdoor as a whole, and and I think that's one of the exciting things about it. There's going to be a lot more people, um, a lot more vendors. It's going to be outdoor expo at its at its finest probably the biggest and best that we'll ever see um moving forward because it involves everybody am i correct in saying that kelly yes that's one of the things that uh we you know are with the timing and everything exactly right chris Mm -hmm. yeah and let me let me say that you know winning the bassmaster classic completely changed my life it's the biggest and baddest thing that was out there um, if you won the Super Bowl of bass fishing, it changed your world, um, and it did. And I'm very thankful for that. Um, moving moving forward into Major League Fishing, um, I still think that this is the opportunity for this to become a true professional sport. It has all the makeup and everything in place with great leadership and great partners moving forward to be a true professional sport. If you look at NFL, Major League Fishing, Major League Baseball, PGA, NASCAR, tennis, you go down the whole list of professional sports, there's only one league. And now we have a league that is that is operated and owned by anglers to push the agenda of Major League Fishing and for it to become a true professional sport so that when you come out of high school or you come out of college and you make the big leagues, you're making the big leagues. You're not having to sacrifice and run your credit cards into debt to to try to stay at the top. I think that's probably one of the most exciting things to young anglers to look at and, and even to, to guys that have been doing this for a long time. I've been fishing bass for 12, 13 years, and I'm very thankful it was there. Um, but there's many of us that, you know, could not make it to the top because of, you know, the amount of expenditures that it costs. It's a hundred thousand dollars to go and fish, you know, 
a, a tournament circuit right now. Mm-hmm. 100, 120 if you're from California. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with the with the it, you know the biggest thing is it's it's not about the dollars. I I don't want to I don't want to get hung on uh, hung up on that. It's about the media exposure that that major league fishing is going to offer. But it, I think it's the drive for it to be under one league for major league fishing to take the step of you know being the league that leads by example when they're doing it with conservation. There's and one of the biggest things that I think has been not, not, you know, talked about enough is back in the day, 50 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, you had tournaments. You had 100-boat tournaments. You had 20, 30-boat tournaments. You didn't have high school tournaments. You didn't have college tournaments. And you didn't have the amount of tournaments that you have now. And living on Lake Gunnersville, we see it. There's tournaments here every weekend, every month of the year. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. But there's so many people that fish tournaments now. And the conservation side of catch, weigh, and release, I have to say, I think will help the fisheries and it'll help generations for to come to be able to catch Lots of fish, big fish, because it's going to be so much better for the industry. And that's where I feel Major League Fishing's really taken taken a step ahead and and going to places that um, that catch catch big and lots of fish. Yeah. Well, and for anyone listening that's not familiar, Major League Fishing's format is it's like a it's a period based. You get a time limit. You, in every fish you catch, that is what it's over what twelve inches. Is that right, guys? One pound. That's the way a pound. One pound, okay. But every fish is is caught, weighed, and uh, immediately uh, released. And you also have some other cool stuff. Uh, penalty time. Um, that's always been fun for me, watching you guys get put in the penalty box for mishandling a fish <laughs> or or uh, <laughs> various other things, um, which is an element, obviously, that uh, Bass never had. But what does this mean for the – and Chris kind of just hit on it, but Kelly, what does this mean for the, the five-fish tournament format? Is that is that something that's probably going to uh, – die on the vine and and i think that it you know it's probably not a bad thing if it does well you know it what major league fishing does to that and I, i've heard some 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 conversations especially from a lot of people who who maybe are diehard tournament anglers uh you know local anglers or what have you um the, the five fish standard is is what we have fished for a long long time and uh you know a lot of people Change is hard. Let me mm-hmm. just say that. So, trying to make the jump to where how it changes how you fish um, um, to to to, to, to uh, compete in that format, it is different. And a lot of people are trying to figure out how that equates to how they fish. Um, it is different. But competing in both styles of events for as long as I have, um, it's competition. It's the same. It's bass fishing. It's the same thing. It it actually. Um, the format of every fish counts really kind of frees you up just to kind of it, it's a seat of the pants, get her done kind of deal that uh, I can't hardly describe. And with our rolling scoreboard, meaning that uh, if, if you weren't familiar with it, Major League Fishing as well has a live scoreboard that everyone who's competing on that day knows exactly what the score is. They know if they're in last place, they know that they're in first place, they know who's breathing down their throat if they're like in the on the cut weight to go to advance the next day, that adds a whole new element of the game. And uh, as far as uh, the the way the fish fishing is, five fish, bunch of fish, whatever it is, it's still fishing. It is different, 
it has changed. A lot of people wonder what it's going to be like, but, uh, you know, not saying the five fish deal is dead there, you know, we could, there could always be some specialty events for the biggest five or biggest bass, what have you. But the way major league fishing is set up, every scoreable bass you catch, which is a pound or greater, uh, counts. So, you know, are you going to go for five, five pounders? Are you going to go, you know, to have 25 pounds? Or are you going to go for, you know, 10 three-pounders, which would be 30 pounds and beat them? Or are you going to go for 25 one-pounders? Mm-hmm. And that may sound like it's easy to catch 25 one-pounders, but uh, a lot of times it's a lot harder than, it, than people think. So keeps it real. Guys can fish their strengths. Guys can change gears, do different things. It is, uh, it's a whole new world in how to compete. And uh, um, I can tell you uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, it's very, very enjoyable, and, and it's the most exciting competition I've ever competed in. Well, as a fan and consumer of the sport, uh, I think Major League Fishing's format lends itself to creating new fans because, like we said, you've got the rolling scoreboard. Everyone knows what's going on. And then as a byproduct of the format, I think you get to see the anglers' personalities come out a lot more. Which, with any sport, I mean, you look at the NFL, the NBA, whatever, people want to see emotion. They don't want to see statues. That's not what we're drawn to. Uh, and I think Major League Fishing gets that. And that's why, like I said, like my wife watches the show. Uh, with all that being said, there's got to be some way that you guys have a checks and balances system in place uh, so that that up-and-coming angler has a chance to join Major League Fishing I want to find out how all of that is laid out, and we'll do that after a quick break. Uh, So I appreciate you guys sticking around. That segment brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging Technology. If you've got a hog or coyote problem, like I do on both of my leases, uh, then you need to check out the Pulsar Trail. I've got the XP50. It's got got everything. Uh, The crystal clear image quality is top-notch. There's nothing like it out there. Plus the internal... Recording devices, I mean, that's my favorite feature. You just hit record, boom, plug your unit into your computer, and you can download, or uh, at least it's upload, all of your footage directly to your computer. It's that easy. It's the Pulsar Trail. You can find it at PulsarNV.com. Up next, we continue our discussion with Major League Fishing anglers Brent Ayler, Kelly Jordan, and Chris Lane on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. The funny feeling comes when you're in love with everyone And all your races have been run or laid to rest So get this freaking anvil off my chest Come on, funny feeling Hey guys, Cable here for First Light. If you haven't checked out the new First Light Catalyst system for this whitetail season, what in the world are you doing? Why are you waiting? Go over to firstlight.com, give it a look. It's the Catalyst Shell Jacket, Catalyst Pants. It's what I'm wearing in the Whitetail Woods this fall, and you should too. First Light, go further, stay longer. Did you know that you can manage specifically for wildlife? Yep, yep, birds and deer don't show up on cue. We all know that. You need a plan to attract them. That's where Plateau Land and Wildlife comes in. If you're a landowner currently in ag and you're done messing with cattle and mending fences, but you want the same low property taxes for less work? Well, you know what to do. Check out my friends over at Plateau Wildlife. Call 866-256-2935 or go to plateauwildlife.com today. 
Hey, hey, all you waterfowl junkies out there. Cable here for TX Duck Blinds. Highly durable and highly mobile customized duck blinds built by duck hunters for duck hunters. Each blind is built from solid steel by professional welders and field tested before shipment. A duck season will come and go, but guess what? Your TX Duck Blind is built to last. Customize yours today by calling 817-965-1306. You can also find them at texasduckblinds.com or check them out on Instagram and Facebook at TX Duck Blinds. Pike County, Illinois, and the surrounding area is hallowed ground for whitetail hunters. And with 21 years' experience, Golden Triangle Whitetails is the oldest outfitter in the state. Spread out over 14,000 acres, they have 350 acres of food plots, 500 tree stands, and over 80 box blinds. The guides take pride in having hunters harvest giant Midwest bucks. Golden Triangle Whitetail hunts the Illinois archery, shotgun, and muzzleloader season. They have a full-time chef and excellent lodging. Book your whitetail hunt of a lifetime by going to www.goldentrianglewhitetail.com today. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. I'm Kevin Van Dam, and when I'm not hunting and fishing, there's no way that I'm listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Double barrel shotgun, watching my dog run along an old fence road. Setting the drag for the largemouth bass bend in my fishing boat. On the water and in the woods, that's Chuck Allen Floyd bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith riding shotgun with you today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. Thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. Uh, we have still got Brent Ayler, Kelly Jordan, and Chris Lane on the show as we're discussing the seismic shift in professional bass fishing this morning. Uh, these three guys are, are part of an 80 angler group that left their respective tours, whether that was the Elite Series or the FLW Tour, and uh, have now decided that they're all going to fish the new Major League Fishing Bass Pro Tour. Um, but what does that mean for the future of the sport? We've already discussed that a bit. So let's get into how this new format is going to keep anglers accountable because you've got to have a checks and balances system if you truly want to have a competitive format that people can get behind. Uh, we'll do that in a second. First, this segment brought to you by All Seasons Feeders. If you haven't seen the 600-pound stand-in fill, it's what I've got on both of my deer leases, and it's really just too easy not to use because you don't need a ladder, you don't need a winch, you don't need anything. Just your own two legs, and you simply stand there and fill it up. Boom, there you go. All seasons, 600-pound stand-and-fill, also available in a 300-pound or 1,000-pound model, for that matter. Check it out at allseasonsfeeders.com. All right, uh, well, Brent uh, and Kelly, Chris, thank you guys for sticking around. This question is for Brent, however. You know, you've fished the FLW Tour, or champion on that circuit you came over to the elite series uh, you fished them both so how does an angler who thinks that you know they're ready to compete with the best of the best which major league fishing now is 
Uh, how do they qualify to fish the MLF Bass Tour? Uh, there's only 80 spots. Do you see this expanding, or you know, talk a little bit about uh, how that will play out, and and how an angler can move up the ranks in this new system? Well, bottom line, when when you get into fishing, um, you, you know, you always have to compete. You have to compete against the best. You have to keep moving up the ranks. Uh, regardless of what platform you're fishing, and you know, right now for the up and come up and coming angler, you just fish what you see is best for you at that time. So you have to, you know, fish. For instance, when I grew up fishing, I started fishing club tournaments, and I started fishing regional pro am tournaments, and then the Bass Invitationals came out here, the Western Invitationals for a little bit. Well, they weren't really getting the the support that they felt like they needed to come out west, so they left. So I had nothing to fish but just the regional stuff here. When they left, then the Everstart circuit came in with FLW, so I started fishing mm-hmm. FLW. Mm-hmm. And that's how I you know, went to fish the FLW tour. I fished what was in front of me. You know, Every angler has to fish what's in front of them in order to move up. You have to be able to dominate. You have to be able to catch and win and, and do well where you are and what's in front of you to move on. And, you know, for me to move on, it was FLW. Then I decided I wanted to fish bass. And I fished bass. And then Major League Fishing came about. And now I'm starting to fish Major League Fishing, uh, you know, the Pro Bass Tour. So you basically have to fish what's in front of you. And the options will be there for an angler to move to wherever he wants to go based on how he does. If he goes out there and doesn't catch him, well, guess what? You know, maybe bass fishing isn't the way for you to go. Well, yeah. So you have to perform. you got to have sponsors. And, you know. You basically, you have to perform in advance. Yeah. And by doing that, you fish what's in front of you, and you advance when you can well, so yeah. I, so let me ask you this. So 80 anglers, that's a pretty, uh, obviously the, the best of the best, but how does the 81st guy get in? Like, so we're, you fish what you, what's in front of you and now it's time you're ready to, you know, take the next step. You think you're, you're as good as the best in the world. Uh, will major league fishing expand to 90 anglers, a hundred? How does that work? Uh, that's, that's a Kelly question right there. <laughs> Yeah, I'll tell you, Cable. So, yeah, that's that's great. And what Brent said is exactly right. Uh, wherever you, uh, an angler finds himself throughout this country, there's probably somewhere you can start. I mean, there's so many great, uh, you know, ways you can start now. And then in addition, nowadays, we have this incredible high school and collegiate fishing, which I'm very jealous is there because I didn't have that one. Well, hell, we now. have a two, two-time-in-a-row uh, classic winner that basically came right out of college. I know. <laughs> How fantastic is that? Now, this uh, the major league fishing moving forward. We uh, everybody that came because this is a tremendous. So the major league fishing organization is taking a risk when we when we launched this program that we were going to be accepted by anglers and anglers are going to to feel that the platform that we were offering fit them and their sponsors. That was a risk that we took with the anglers. The anglers in turn took a big risk by committing to fish major league fishing. Uh-huh. That in itself is a huge commitment, too, and Major League Fishing and the guys who have fished Major League Fishing realize that. There's a tremendous responsibility there for our organization and our anglers, which are the heart of our organization. That is the difference with Major League Fishing. The anglers are our heart, and we recognize that, and that is where we came from. That is who we are. That is why we do what we do. 
that is for the advancement of this sport and for our anglers to maximize their platforms and, 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 and do their best to help us advance the sport. We're all a team. We're all pulling in the same direction with the common goal. Um, well, it's like Chris said, you know, that, it's basically like you guys have your players' union now, like when he was talking about the other sports. That Yeah, that's – well, you could say that, but it's an association because this is a very small sport. We all know each other very well. And when you get everybody on the board, you have a tremendous amount of momentum, and we're all pulling the same direction. We all see this goal of where we can take this sport, and that comes back to what we have set forth because of the risk-taking and the, and the commitment that these anglers made to fish Major League Fishing. That's no, nothing to be taken lightly because now that's a responsibility for us because they believe in us. We believe in, as an organization, the anglers believe in us. We believe in the anglers who made this commitment. So together we're all locked in this commitment. So there was a, a three-year um, um, commitment made from the league that everyone who came and supported this new format was going to have three years uh-huh. to compete in this league. That that that's a that's a skin in the game. That is a like we're going to protect all our guys that that made this tremendous risk. Sure, their whole career. Oh yeah, to come over. I mean, they risked their whole career to come over. It's nothing to be taken light, lightly. Major League Fishing does not take that lightly at all. It's a, it's a tremendous risk from everybody involved. So we have this three year commitment. People, if they read enough about it, they heard about this three year commitment. Some people thought, oh, that's that's great. Others thought, well, man, that's really no good or whatever. But that's why the three-year commitment is in there. It is taking care. It is, is ensuring that guys that risk their entire career are going to be able to compete in this format for three years. At the end of three years, and this is the scary part, ten of the anglers will fall out. That's one out of eight mm-hmm. of the 80 anglers that committed to fish this. Risk their whole careers. That being said... In two years, two years from right now, we will have a theater system in place, a series of tournaments, a triple-A tournament circuit, if you will. That's going to start in two years. Hmm. At the end of that year, the top ten anglers in that are going to advance into the Major League Bass Pro Tour, and the bottom ten will fall out, and they will be given the opportunity, of course, to fish the qualifying circuit or what have you that's coming out, but that all will be announced soon, but... You know, that's where it's going to come from. Everybody's going to see that in two years. That's and that a huge risk. Be in place. I mean, you just you, yeah, it is a huge wow. risk, and especially when one out of eight is going to fall out. And I mean, there's some guys that are you know have expressed that man, that's that's a lot of guys coming out of eighty in three years when I did my whole career on this. And you know, the response is like what Brent said: Hey, man, you better catch them, or you might have to find another job. I mean, that's that's that is the competition part of our careers and what we do. Um, that being said, that will continue to happen. The turnover, the bottom ten will fall out every year after that. That is a, a imperative to be a, a competitive sport. It's just what happens. Any sport is the same. If you don't have the best, and that ensures that you will have the best of the best, which is also a criterion of presenting a major league of any sport. And that's what we have. Brent touched on that. Chris touched on that. We have great champions. I mean, Brent is an uh, FLW Cup champion. He is the world champion in the FLW Tour. Chris is the world champion in Bassmasters. We have an incredible group of guys that have all kind of titles and accolades like that. And let me tell you what, you better show up to fish on this. Mm. And then we're going to have that turnover system in place. Starting in two years, we'll have the feeder system starting. After the third year, 10 spots are going to be gone every year. So there are going to be plenty of opportunities. And that is also a basis of Major League Fishing going forth. 
forward with our partners because the grassroots, if you will, you know, the, the feeder systems have to be in place. And that is what's, what has to be there for the, for the sport involvement of all these people that love to compete in tournaments that, that Chris was talking about, that will be in place coming very soon. So we're excited about that, but that's how that's going to work. And you will be able to, starting in two years, there will be a system in place hmm. where you can qualify, compete in Major League Fishing Bass Pro Tour. Well, and let me ask uh, Chris, as, as you guys are, are starting to make, you know, have these conversations about leaving the Elite Series, and was there a lot of blowback? I mean, did everyone jump on initially, or, or did it take some convincing? I mean, everyone might have been like, hell yeah, let's do this, uh, but I imagine some guys had some reservations for sure. Yeah, well, I think it was, I think it was timing. Um, I think that was probably the biggest thing. And then I think it was the opportunities that were given to anglers, um, you know, and it was, it was very hard for, for a lot of anglers to make that decision, um, especially a lot of the younger anglers, um, you know, and guys that have like, they have been there for two or three or four years that finally made it. And I think that, when, when it comes to making the decision to fish Major League Fishing, I mean, you can put, the, you can put the, the platform up there. You can put the, you know, dollars up there. You can put everything that's there between FLW, Bass, Major League Fishing. Major League Fishing is the only organization that shows the future of the sport, I believe the the media coverage and you know the one thing about it and Brent and Kelly you guys both know this when you get the major league fishing effect I think that's probably the biggest thing no matter where you go no matter no matter where you're at it's love watching you on major league fishing I love watching the major league fishing show so obviously within the seven years that it's been on television it has grown the sport exponentially and put it in front of viewers and to people that have never, ever seen the sport of bass fishing. And it is taking it to a level that is professional. Score tracker update. You know what the score is. You know what you got to do. If you get your butt kicked, you go home with your tail between your legs, you turn around, you come back at the next game, and you're ready to go again. So I think for for the younger guys, for the older guys, for, you know, kind of every angler, that had all these opportunities put in front of them. The number one thing is it's great to be a professional bass angler today because what Major League Fishing has done is made it better for every angler, no matter where you're at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things. And I think the the guys that, that saw that and, you know, your 80-man field, your 80-man field is filled they're ready to go. They're fired up. And it's something that I think speaks volume with, with the belief in the league and with the belief of the future of the sport being Major League Fishing and Major League Fishing as a whole. You know, I don't think that they're, you know, I hope to see it all under Major League Fishing, you know, in three years. <laughs> I would love to see that. Yeah. You know, to where it is only one league, because if you look at every other sport, like I was saying earlier, there is no 
27 different leagues. And when the, when the, the American League and the National League all came together and everything worked out, and that's when it started working. And because it's under one league. Yeah. Well, same with the, you know, the, uh, what was it, the AFL and the NFL? Uh, that's what I would, yeah, the yeah. AFL and NFL in 1952 when they, yeah. or 1956 when they joined together, it formed the NFL and wow. My wife just rolls her eyes when I turn on Outdoor Channel or Sportsman's Channel and she's like, oh, another hunting or fishing show, great. When I turn on Major League Fishing, um, she actually, like, her interest perks up and she's like, yeah, I can watch this. And she's not really even into bass fishing. Um, but I think it's so important, and I'm just using her as an example, to, you know, create fans of the sport. Uh, Major League Fishing does, uh, and just as a member of the media and dealing with, with bass and compared to Major League Fishing, it's like night and day. Major League Fishing gets it. They get social media. Uh, they get that they need a younger fan base. I think that they're doing a great job on that front. Oh, for sure. You know, we're, we're marketing uh, you know, more people outside of the core group of fishermen that we have right now. Um, not only are we, you know, touching those people, but we're creating an, an interesting and, and great way to entertain the core group that already is involved. Uh, I can't tell you how many people we talk to that say exactly what you said. You know, man, my wife can't stand watching fishing shows or my girlfriend can't stand watching fishing shows. But when Major League Fishing comes on, they love it. They that love right it. there is the group that we need. We need that group of people that is not currently invested in it, who's not currently a fan to come and get on board and, and become fans. We're trying to grow this sport, grow this industry. And the only way we can is to get more people involved. And the status quo is not getting more people involved. So hearing stuff like that is doing exactly what Major League Fishing has tried to accomplish. They're trying to get outside of that circle of core group of fans, but not only doing that, entertaining and keeping the ones that we already have. Right on, right on. We're going to wrap this up here. I know, Brent, previously we talked about you possibly going elk hunting. I think you may be more building a gun. Uh, did you have a chance to hit the elk woods this fall? I did not. My rifle is still not finished. Um, <laughs> it's looking like it will be pretty quick. I, I think I might be done here in the next two weeks with a rifle. It's only taken two years. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm not going to get an elk. I am going to probably look into a leftover tag in Arizona for coos deer. Awesome. Uh, which which ends kind of the end of uh, November. So I'm hoping to reach that. I don't know if I'll be able to, but uh, if not, I'm going to you know aim for next year uh, and, and hopefully get that dialed in. I can't wait. It's going to be you know, my, I want a thousand yard gun. It looks like I'm going to have one greater. So right on, right on. Well, and Kelly, uh, I don't know if you still have your South Texas lease. I know you've got a place there in, in East Texas. Do you have any big bucks on camera? Uh, I do have a lot of places to hunt around here, but, uh, I'm going to, and, and that's, thanks for asking that question. And we are into the second week of bow season here in Texas and I'm a bow hunter. And I have a lot of people have asked me, Hey, do you have any big deer on camera? You know, trail cam, just like you said. Um, I have not even put a battery into a trail cam yet this year. I've been so busy. I haven't even looked at my bow case. It's, 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 so uh, that's how crazy this fall has been. It's been awesome. It's been an incredible process working with all these incredible anglers who've come together. Uh, you know, we all have this, this, this new deal and I've been working with a lot. I know Chris has spent countless hours on the phone working as well, talking to anglers. We're just, you know, Brent Ayler, same thing. We've all been communicating together, you know, 
getting this together, looking forward, having ideas with our anglers. And so I imagine that's why Brent's probably a little late on his project as well because it's been so crazy. But Chris, do you have any I trail have cameras out? I, I do not. Um, but I actually, uh, it was fall break for the kids this week, and um, we were out um, clearing trails yesterday and got all the trails cleared and uh, getting getting feeders ready. And my son just he was shooting his bow yesterday. He's dead on. He's he's excited, saying it's about the about the future generations to come. And I know he's fired up about it. Hopefully, um, look at putting plenty of meat in the freezers. Right on. Last thing, just give me one bait as we transition into colder weather. I mean, hell, it was uh, Kelly, you're in Texas. It was a little cool this morning. Yeah, so, 53. Yeah. So uh, each one of you just give me one bait uh, that uh, you would be throwing right now. Uh, Brent, go ahead. For me, it's easy. That's uh, the real 1.5. That's the Lexicraft 1.5. Uh, that bait, I've I've kept, caught so many fish on it in the fall, big fish. Uh, in fact, in a major league fishing event, I caught one almost seven uh, in the fall uh, on the 1.5. So uh, usually that is when you know, when it starts getting too cold for a top water, I start running the 1.5. Right on. Kelly? Uh, Brent stole my thunder <laughs> on the Lucky Craft 1.5. So uh, since I'm going to fish for a little bit bigger fish than Brent's catching, I'm going to throw a Lucky Craft 1.5. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and Chris? And it's kind of funny because I'm right in the middle of finishing rigging my rods because I've got the Bass Pros here. We're shooting a show this week, and I've been catching them on the River to Sea lane changer that we've been ripping them on, and I have to say that it's supposed to be 53 here in the morning, 25-degree temperature change. So our in-depth is going to be what do you do during a cold front? So I'm going to have to drop down to – you know the top water bite might slow down and probably drop down to the to the Rick Klein RC2. Right on. Well, guys, there you go. Exciting stuff. Uh, we'll see what the future holds for Major League Fishing. Um, it's great to see all of you guys so excited, and uh, I appreciate your time today. And, and we'll catch you guys on uh, Major League Fishing. Hey, Thank Cable. You. I just yeah, I just wanted to add this. Right now, look for Major League Fishing coming every Saturday on Discovery Channel right now throughout this fall. So, Discovery, all right. So everyone set their DVR. Started last Saturday. Nice. Get her, get, yeah, check it out. Perfect timing. Well, guys, God bless. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you, right. Cable. All right, take care. Thank you. Uh-huh. So there you have it, three of the best in Brent, Ayler, Kelly Jordan, and Chris Lane. Uh, that segment of the presentation, by the way, was proudly brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'd like to invite you to get plugged in with this group of folks who are passionate about hunters' rights, education, and conservation. To do so, check us out at biggame.org. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be joined by USDA entomologist Dr. Donald Thomas. Port Mansfield, Texas, recently had over 100 white-tailed deer put down, a free-ranging white-tailed deer, due to the threat of the cattle fever tick. We discuss next on the Lone Star Outdoors Show.
Live Oak Outdoors offers some of the best waterfowl hunting in the Central Flyway, hunting over 2,000 acres of cut rice along the coast that attracts wintering geese by the tens of thousands. Hunts take place out of layout blinds or white parkas over a spread of 1,500 decoys. It's also common to shoot pintail and other puddle ducks in the goose spread. Professional guides make sure you have a safe and memorable hunt of a lifetime. They're based out of El Campo, Texas. Check them out at liveoakoutdoors.com or you can book your hunt by calling Chris Slimp at 832-466-9646. Hey guys, Cable here, and I need to tell you about the Go Wild app. If you've experienced any kind of hatred on social media from anti-hunters, from tree huggers, and the like, then check out the growing Go Wild community. It's free. It's available for both iPhones and Android. It's a great place to trade hunting and fishing stories, recipes, and share some of those bragging board moments of your outdoor successes. Check it out. It's the Go Wild app, available for both iPhones and Androids. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Let's get some gravy and they wore blue bell bottom jeans and platform shoes. And they slapped at the insects while they laughed at the rednecks. They kept all the straight-laced businessmen confused. And the days went by with a red band and a blues all right. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Adam Carroll's Red Bandana Blues. Love that tune there. Uh, thank you guys and gals for being here today. I appreciate each and every one of you. Thanks to our title sponsor, Dallas Safari Club, as well as the uh, the love shown from Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. Appreciate them as well. As we've got a very interesting topic to get into. Uh, if you haven't heard of a cattle fever tick, well, it's not anything new. Uh, it's been affecting the cattle industry for forever in this country, essentially. Um, but it's something that we've been able to keep at bay for some time. And so me personally, I don't really know much about the cattle fever tick. So when I heard about this deer cull that was necessary down around Port Mansfield, Texas, due to the spread of potential cattle fever ticks, uh, I thought, man, that's really interesting. We need to get to the bottom of that and figure out why it's important and and what effect the cattle fever tick actually has on an animal. Uh, So we're going to do that momentarily with Dr. Donald Thomas of the USDA. Uh, But before we do so, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader 
and big game conservation, I'd like to invite you to get plugged in with this great group of folks who are passionate about hunters' rights, education, and conservation. To do so, check us out at biggame.org. All right, uh, well, let's go ahead and discuss this deer call, the cattle fever tick, with USDA research entomologist, Dr. Donald Thomas. Thanks for being here, doctor. You're very welcome. So first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your position uh, with USDA? Okay, I'm, an, I'm a research entomologist, and I work here at the Cattle Fever Tick Research Lab in Edinburgh, Texas. So the mission of our laboratory is to provide uh, research support for the Cattle Fever Tick Eradication Program. Huh. Okay, and how long have you been uh, work, well in that current position? I've been here for five years. Okay. Well, so that's kind of what I want to talk about today is the uh, cattle fever tick. I recently became aware of a story out of Port Mansfield, Texas, where a large whitetail deer cull was carried out to try to stop the spread of this cattle fever tick infestation. I think about 100 individuals were culled, which was roughly 25% of that uh, deer herd's total population. That's right. Were you guys the ones that carried it out, and how did you decide that it was necessary? Okay, so it, it wasn't uh, our lab. It was uh, the Fever Tick Program, which is the USDA APHIS, and it was carried out by the Wildlife Services Branch of the uh, of USDA. Uh, it was undertaken. Uh, actually, we've done calls periodically. Mm -hmm. Around Port Mansfield, uh, the problem being that uh, we know that the fever ticks are infesting the wildlife there in Willacy County and also uh, in uh, Cameron County. Mm -hmm. In fact, over the last couple of years, as you may know, as a any premise that becomes uh, is known to be infested with with fever ticks gets placed under quarantine and in the last couple of years, it, normally it's a, it's a serious pest of cattle, but in that particular area, uh, it's actually wildlife that's been triggering over half of the premises that are quarantined were triggered by wildlife, and that includes uh, both deer and the Nilgai antelope. Hmm. And we, we know that because as part of the program, when they allow hunting, for example, on uh, the Laguna Atascosa, the wildlife refuge, and on the on the ranches adjacent, we have a program, a cooperative, cooperative program with the uh, both the Fish and Wildlife Service and also the uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife that as hunters uh, take uh, animals uh, in that area, they take them to stations, inspection stations mm -hmm. run by the uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife, and we have a man there that inspects the hides for ticks. And, and so what we're seeing is a uh, roughly right around a third of the animals, both deer and nilgai, are coming in. They're infested with fever ticks. Hmm. So uh, the problem being that Port Mansfield, as the uh, as the ticks were spreading, the concern is that Port Port Mansfield, with about 400 deer right in their their little Port Authority area, which is a non-hunting area, and that with the 
with the deer accumulating in there, it became a concern. So periodically, over the last couple of years, we call some of the deer and check them for uh, fever ticks. Okay. And, and then this year was the first year that we actually found them. That was back in uh, uh, in May, and uh, it was actually a roadkill that was found to be found to have ticks on it. So they went in right away and they took uh, right around 90 deer mm-hmm. and in order to check them for the uh, fever ticks. And, yeah, and indeed, we find that uh, uh, some of them were carrying fever ticks. Okay, so the, the Port Mansfield, like proper deer herd, previously hadn't hadn't been exposed or hadn't been carrying the fever ticks. Other places, like like you mentioned, the Laguna Atascosa is where you guys were finding up to a third of the uh, Nilgai and deer infected with them? Correct. Well, okay. that was, uh, yeah, the deer herd uh, and the Nilgai in that part of Laguna Atascosa. But there in Willisee County, actually in the northern part of the refuge, we are finding close to 100% of the Nilgai are infested with fever ticks. The Nilgai is actually, a, it's a bovine, so it's closely related to cattle, and it's a very good host, a better host, actually, than the deer. Huh. Okay, so this fever tick, though, will infect or will, will you know, bite any, basically any hooved animal? Uh, yeah, basically. The, some animals, they'll, they'll get on horses, uh, for example. Uh, they're... Uh, they're on different species of deer, different species of antelope, just that some are better than others. Hmm. And uh, the deer are kind of a, it's, a, it's sort of an in-between. Uh, they do get infested with the ticks, but deer are very good groomers. And I guess there's really no part of its body that a deer can't reach with its mouth and maybe right behind its ears or something. But then they groom each other. So uh, we do find fewer ticks on deer than we find on, uh, say, a, a, a cow or an antelope, and we think that's probably because the deer are very good groomers. Huh. We've got a bunch of horses on my lease in Oklahoma, and they must not be good groomers because they're always covered up in ticks. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Which I'm really, I feel bad for them, but they're so destructive that sometimes I'm like, oh, that's what you get, you son of a gun, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, okay, well, so once this fever tick bites the animal, is it automatically infected with the fever, and is it fatal? I mean, what are the symptoms of this disease? Right. Well, this is a this is a disease uh, which is un, has the unfortunate name used to be called Texas cattle fever. Uh, it was the disease that would be spread from Texas, and during the cattle drives, they drive cattle up into Kansas and Missouri, and the Texas cattle at those times mostly Longhorns, and the Longhorns are a little more uh, resistant to the fever and to the fever tick, but they would carry it and spread it up. And then those naive animals that had never been exposed to the disease and had no immunity, they would have whole herds die off hmm. up in the central part of the United States. So uh, it's uh, the situation now is we eradicated the disease. So now it's in Mexico. And in Mexico, they have what's called endemic stability uh, because they are constantly exposed to it. And if you're exposed to it as a calf, uh, the calf might get a fever, but then he gets over it, and then he's immune for the rest of his life. But really, it's deadly if you're exposed to it as an adult animal. So, uh, okay. our, so our problem is that we have a susceptible herd here in the United States. 
so we are trying our best to keep it out. And what we're discovering is it's the ticks are being carried uh, by the wildlife. Uh, that's the the main. We do have stray cattle coming in from Mexico. Uh, I think we've gotten close to 200 stray cattle intercepted this year, and most of them were carrying fever ticks. But so far, we've been lucky. We have not found a single case of the disease, the uh, babesiosis, here in the United States yet. So, uh, in cattle or in in wildlife, but in cattle or wildlife, that's correct. Our, but you understand that we import almost a million head of cattle a year from Mexico, mm-hmm. and we know that a very large, probably close to half of those, are actually carriers of the disease. So when we import those animals, uh, they're dipped to free them from the ticks, so then they don't have the vector. So we allow the cattle in, but those go straight up. They go into, like, northern Texas, west Texas. They go to feedlots. Mm-hmm. They're not allowed to stay here to be fed here close to the border. So what we do is we're keeping the disease separate from where the vector is, the the ticks. So the situation is now we've got the ticks, and, and we're... Uh, fighting to keep the, the the disease out. Well, it seems like so far you guys have done a pretty good job if we don't have any confirmed cases of this. And, I mean, I don't know when the last time was. It sounds like uh, the cattle drive days, it's, it's been a long time. Right. Now, the last confirmed case that we had here in Texas was back in the 70s. So we've had uh, we've had a long time uh, uh, free from the, from the disease. Uh-huh. Well, and, and then, all, I mean, they're taking great measures to ensure this. I was reading that they even put up a high fence. Um, I guess it was off of Highway 186 to prevent the deer from moving north. Yeah, deer and the nil guy. The nil guy are the real problem because they have a much bigger home range uh, than the deer. But, yeah, that's right. That's the idea, that putting that game fence uh, to try to protect the ranches north of uh, Port Mansfield. Huh. Fascinating stuff. Okay, so if an animal is infected, there's no cure. I mean, you can't just, like, give it a vaccination or anything like that. Yeah, it's been uh, making a vaccine for uh, protozoan disease like the babesiosis. Well, for example, that's why they never come up with a vaccine for malaria. It's really tough to uh, get a vaccine against those kind of diseases. So what we've been developing instead is a vaccine against the tick. So we've been, uh, we're doing, it's experimental now, but we've already started vaccinating cattle. In fact, it's mandatory for cattle that are found along the Texas-Mexico border. Uh, in that area, they have to be vaccinated once a year uh, against the tick. God, these ticks are sorry bastards. We had a, a uh, entomologist on oh, probably a couple months ago to discuss the Lone Star tick, which I had never, I didn't even realize that this was a thing where, you know, if it if it bites you and you become infected, you develop an allergy to red meat, which to me I think I'd rather just be six feet deep if that was the case. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Yeah, <laughs> if it if it if it was an allergy to beer, that would definitely end it. <laughs> Yuck! A cold Lone Star and a and a nice steak or backstrap is tough to beat. So, um, well, I certainly appreciate your time today. This is a fascinating, fascinating situation that we do have regarding these cattle fever ticks. And, and like I said, I, I hadn't really done any research or, or didn't know much about it. So um, it's, it's encouraging to know that you guys have done such a good job since the 70s at keeping this thing uh, essentially at bay. 
Well, thank you. We'd like to think so. Yeah. How does this affect people, or does it? I mean, if we get bit by one of these ticks, does it even matter? Uh, yeah. The, we don't have the the fever tick uh, does not carry diseases that in, that will uh, infect people or dogs, yeah, is, pets, or or dogs. Right. Yeah. The Babesia that they carry is a disease that's specific to uh, cattle. Now there is another species. There are other species of Babesia. There's one that does hit humans, but the, the the fever tick is not the vector. Okay. Well, we certainly appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for jumping on. You bet. All right. There he goes, Dr. Donald Thomas, entomologist with the USDA. Uh, that segment of the presentation brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Um, let's do this. Let's take a break, come back, and check in with a longtime friend, Corey Mason, executive director of Dallas Safari Club. What in the world is going on with the grizzly bear? Once again, emotions have taken the place of sound scientific management when it comes to the now kiboshed grizzly hunt we discuss next on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails Magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Three Curl Outfitters is now offering guided North Texas quail hunts. Just 30 minutes south of DFW, if you're looking for a quality quail hunt close to home, planning a company outing, or just looking for a place to tune up your dogs, you need to give them a call. Hunts are $2.50 a hunter for a half-day hunt. That includes 15 birds, and you can add extra birds for $8 a piece if you want to give your bird dog just a little more run. You're welcome to bring your own dogs. Otherwise, the guide and dog fee is $150 a day for your entire group. That's not per person. Go to 3curl.com or call 214-641-8097 to book your hunt today. Half past Abilene, the wind it always blows. Turbines keep rolling round, that's the sound of money. I look up at them, they're beautifully surreal. Spinning around with the humming sound. Brand new stuff there from our buddy Songbird Jones, out past Abilene's the name of that one, off his new record, Big Moon. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you guys and gals for being here today as we are all set to talk some bears. But before we do that, uh, this segment of the presentation proudly brought to you by John X Safaris. We've got the dates locked down. June 7th through the 15th, Lone Star Outdoor Show, trip number three with John X Safaris. We've got Room for eight folks, eight hunters. Uh, you can bring spouses, kids. Uh, those do not count in the group of eight that will be taken. I think we have three spots left. So if you want to join me on the South Africa trip of a lifetime, we'll be hunting the Eastern Cape. And uh, all you need to do, just email me if you're interested, LoneStarOutdoorsShow at gmail.com. Uh, well, let's go ahead and bring on our next guest, longtime friend of the show, 
from way back at his Texas Parks and Wildlife days to his current position at the helm of Dallas Safari Club. It's my pleasure to welcome back Executive Director Corey Mason to the show. Thank you, Cable. It's always great to be with you. Absolutely. My pleasure. My pleasure. So we've got a lot to get into today. Uh, let's start off, though, for folks who haven't penciled in the upcoming convention uh, on their calendar. Um, tell us, first of all, tell us the uh, the name for the uh, 2019 convention. Uh, it's always fun to uh, to see how people came up with the title and then uh, also the dates because we want people to save those as well. You bet. Uh, so as you know, as you alluded to there, each year it's, each convention has its own theme. Uh, this year our convention chairs at Charlie and Winona Barnes uh, came up with the theme of Mogambo, which is an uh, earlier African-related movie you may know of, uh, Dagoboy Danger. Uh-huh. And uh, the dates are January 17 through 20. Uh, and as always, it's there at the K. Bailey Hudges Convention Center here in Dallas. Awesome, awesome. And is that, let's see, is that a week later than usual? It is actually a little bit week later. Uh, we've had a couple of conflicts through time, and uh, it just happened to do with logistics. It wasn't planned to be then. You know, normally it's around that first week of January. This 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 year's a little bit later, but we get back to sort of normal, if you will, the following year. Awesome. Okay. Well, cool. Well, yeah. I mean, the convention is always one of my favorite uh, long weekends of the year, and uh, yeah, it's like you know, one of those times where you get to see friends from, it's truly a a global event. So like my PH from South Africa, uh, friends from Argentina, you know, that uh, are Dove Outfitters there. Truly, it's a -a one-of-a-kind experience. And if people haven't been, I I highly recommend they come check it out. Well, I appreciate that. It really is. You know, it's one of the largest uh, hunting and conservation regarding uh, conventions around the world. Uh, And it really is. I mean, every continent is represented. And Anything from hunch proper to just adventures, hunting regarding uh, related equipment, uh, firearms proper, and really any and all in between for the whole family. It's a it's a great environment. Oh yeah, my kids love it. I mean, they're five, three, and three, but they love seeing all the taxidermy. So that's how I. Uh, hey, you're really coming to something for for work for dad, but they, they think it's cool because they're like, oh, look at the grizzly bear, look at the lion, or you know. There's some impressive stuff there for sure. Great event. Well, Corey, let's talk about this. Uh, let's talk about grizzly bears. They've been uh, in the news quite a bit over the last year. We had the uh, British Columbia political party elected to office, and they ran on a platform of banning grizzly hunting, which is complete, completely asinine, to be honest, because uh, hunters were taking, I believe, like 3 to 4% of the population each year. It was like 400 bears out of a population of uh, 18,000. Or, or more. Um, and, you know, they ran, they got elected, and then, sure enough, they banned grizzly hunting, which flies in the, in the face of sound scientific wildlife management. Uh, we recently went the other direction in the United States where we were going to have a grizzly hunt for the first time since the 1970s, and then uh, recently a federal judge came in and kiboshed the whole deal. I mean, tags were even issued. These guys drew tags. This was a big deal. Uh, we've covered it a lot on the show, but now uh, it seems like it's hung up in court again. You know, it really is. We've seen, just like you mentioned, from British Columbia, a political party that ran with that platform, as part of their platform, I should say, uh, and then they were elected and they fulfilled it. Uh, and I think now they're starting to realize uh, the benefits and the need Uh, for those hunting opportunities, not only for the conservation of those species proper, but also for the funding of a conservation agency. 
uh, like you mentioned, in North America, we have the, the very successful North American model, uh, model of conservation that we've operated off of since the 30s, if you will, uh, really since 1937, the Wildlife Restoration Act. And, and then one of the things, like we see, was this great promise of uh, science showing the, the need uh, for bears to be uh, basically reclassified, grizzly bears. Uh, but then, you know, we see here kind of at the 11th hour, uh, a federal judge come in and basically block the hunt uh, in some portion of it as he considers rather the government basically was wrong to lift federal protections. And so it really is, you know, when you have individuals that choose to make decisions uh, based on a federal process that was done with due diligence, uh, if, it's a, if it's an elected official or a judge or something like that, it really shows the instability of what we have, that hunters really have to speak out and against these type of actions. You know, it's a, it's really a very audacious thing to think for an individual to say, well, maybe the federal process was flawed uh, and such, basically take on a unilateral decision. to Like he's a wildlife system. biologist or something. Yeah. You know, like how asinine is that? They're going to uh, basically validate the decision made by a federal process. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's quite disheartening, again, when, when those federal staff at the Fish and Wildlife Service that went through those processes to delist those bears, uh, to, to have that hunt, uh, and here we are, you know. So, again, it really shows the, the political environment that we live in currently uh, and how whimsical it can come and go. Uh, hmm. Again, we, you know, we look, we look just across the, the other side of the country, and now we see the, the governor of New Jersey talking about black bears uh, that made a, made a decision singularly that said he had the opportunity to stop black bear hunting on state-owned land and did so. Uh, yeah. And again, we see an individual literally slapping science in the face and feeling like they have more information and a better perspective than the state conservation agency does. And again, it's a real slap in the face to the hunting and conservation community. And and the thing there is that New Jersey, New Jersey has like the highest population density of black bears uh, in regards to any state in in the entire country. You know, we it, in regards to their land mass. You know. Well, it's a strong population, like you say, and, uh, and, and the number of bears taken are, are nominal compared to population growth uh, and as far as prescribed allowable harvest. Um, and so all of the science there is sustainable. This is just a valor, a, a personal agenda, if you will. Uh, and it's, it's so unfortunate to see, and I think it should be another one of those points in which really, you know, British Columbia grizzly bears were the first time we'd really seen a move like this in North America. Now this one getting very close and personal in the sense of a, uh, somewhere in North America, uh, where we're seeing science just pushed to the side, uh, and it's it's something that hunters really have to be mindful of, and we can't remain quiet. We have to unify and speak as a collective voice against these kinds of actions and decisions. Yeah, well, and you know we've seen it uh, in other places like Maine. It was probably four or five years ago they were trying to uh, outlaw the hunting of black bears with dogs, and you know it, it's little things like that. And and you think about a place like Maine with such dense forest and vegetation like people fail to realize if you don't use dogs you're, you're not your odds of actually killing a bear are, are very slim um and so that's why over time that's why we've you know used these techniques uh, techniques in certain places and you don't use them in other ones but um you know once they outlaw and they did it in california um uh, gosh it was probably seven eight years ago when they said all right no more uh hunting black bear and bobcats with hounds and you know, you did away with uh, a group of people's livelihood, their way of life, that tradition, and they have no recourse. Um, and once those things go away, it's extremely difficult to get them back. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, when it's when it's based on a personal decision rather than uh, information that shows a deficit. You know, you'll, you'll, you know, you're, I can't imagine that we would ever see a hunter base say, "Let's have a hunt," when information says that we do not need to. Well, that's absolutely counter what's happening here. This is saying that. The current conservation activities and hunting opportunities are very sustainable, but yet an individual is choosing to not allow that based on their own personal beliefs, and it's so unfortunate. Yeah, well, it really is, and it's uh, the thing over time. Well, let's just say since the time of of Teddy Roosevelt and really the forefathers of conservation, hunters have done an amazing job at policing ourselves. We take, you know, everything that is mandated by sound science, and then we don't. We don't go over that, and we don't ask to. And like like we said, we don't want to hunt grizzlies if the numbers aren't sustainable. We all who who wants to see grizzly bears gone? None of us. Uh, but once science says, hey, here's we have too many, uh, then that's where we come in, and, and that's our job. Well, that's exactly right. You know, you let the professionals do their job, and the biologists that uh, that prescribe that yes, no, and then the X number. Uh, that is a liable and suitable harvest for multiple reasons. If it's human-wildlife conflict, uh, if it's human-livestock conflict, and if it's just population sustainability proportional to the amount of habitat that is ever decreasing uh, with these kinds of species. Um, And obviously there's ways to mitigate those kinds of things. and then one of the things that's a very unintended consequences, I think, from these types of elected officials that they don't think about is the very successful model that is shown that, you know, the model that we're familiar with as hunters and conservationists of the user pay public benefit. You know, they disregard that until the fact that uh, a conservation agency is lacking funds because hunters' dollars, when they dry up directly and indirectly in the sense of, you know, stamps and license fees and then secondarily in the, in the sense of PR reimbursement, all of a sudden, a state conservation agent can find itself upside down uh, with no rate of retreat other than going back to hunters and asking for some help. Mm-hmm. Well, gosh, you sound so much more intelligent when you talk about it. You must have some kind of background in uh, wildlife management, Corey. <laughs> I appreciate that. It has been my life. <laughs> for anyone that doesn't know, Corey, uh, before becoming the executive director of Dallas Fire Club, had a, a very uh, long career with Texas Parks and Wildlife. Not saying that you're old, but you were there for quite some time. I was. I was with the agency for 16 years. Yeah, so that's where uh, that's that's why Corey is uh, so much more well versed in the uh, in the topic uh, than than I am. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you though, and and we had Ted Cruz on the show a couple weeks ago, and I love Ted Cruz. You know, um, I, I'm I'm going to vote for him. I'll tell you that right now. I'm not voting for his uh, competitor. Uh, but the one thing that I don't like about uh, Ted specifically is his stance on public lands. He agrees with Mike Lee of of Utah, and, and I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Corey. But uh, I think that that uh, you know federally owned lands should probably stay the way that they are. You know, there's uh, speaking of, of of Ted and just some of these other elected officials as well to to kind of jump off and come right back. You know, have the opportunity been in D.C. quite a bit over the last uh, couple of months and. I tell you, just all around the country, there's a number of uh, highly contested right now midterm elections that can really shape uh, the composition of uh, you know D.C. and uh, and then thus uh, what some of these sportsmen's acts and et cetera look like. So there's there's a lot of things on the line right now with some of these midterm elections. Yeah, well, and and my buddy and I were talking about it on our elk hunt recently. Uh, you know, that's a big thing for me. Um, I'm like I said, I'm going to vote vote Republican, vote Cruz, um, but. Uh, I think if you can agree with like 70% of a, a politician's policies, then that's, that's you know, you're not going to agree with everything they do. And I think people get hung up on the fact that, oh, I'll never vote for Cruz because he doesn't support, uh, you know, federal publicly owned land, you know, and, and you just, you're not going to agree with everything that they stand for. 
Uh, so you just got to kind of pick and choose. I've just heard a lot of people, they, they've taken it personal that I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to vote for Cruz because of that public land thing. And it's just like the, the alternative scares me a lot more. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Well, you know, your point, regardless of what candidate it might be, it really is. It's looking at big picture. What are their fundamental philosophies, uh, views on things that are tenets that are most near and dear to you? Uh, and, and like you mentioned, uh, you know, those associated with Second Amendment should be very high. Oh, yeah. He's got an A rating with NRA, so that's important to me. There you go. Absolutely. Yeah. Myself as well. Yeah. Um, well, well, getting back to uh, some DSC stuff, um, I know that we're increasing our uh, collaborative efforts with international partners, and I was going to let you talk a little bit about uh, the international front. Uh, I know there's some exciting news regarding that as well. You bet. Well, thank you for that. You know, we work uh, very purposefully and very diligently here at DSC trying to continue to just really build our, our partnership base around the world, uh, as well as, you know, associated with that, then is just really increasing capacity in the sense of a global voice for conservation, a global voice for hunting, uh, and the importance of that clearly is goes without even really needing much clarification, but the opportunity to really galvanize and come together on points when letters are needed, when movements are needed, whatever they may be, to speak collectively as a voice of body of hunters. And really in that same kind of vein, you know, uh, DSC has been a very honored member of the International Union for the Conservation of Nature for a number of years, which is a very prestigious thing, one of very few conservation hunting related organizations in that same realm and really associated with that most recently DSC uh, was named an associate member of FACE uh, and many people probably aren't familiar with what FACE is mm -hmm. uh, but but FACE is really the European Federation for Hunting and Conservation and I think what's what's important to know about that is that it represents you know Europe's is approximately seven million hunter base uh, and it's really their it's an NGO there, uh, and it's really comprised of hunters from across Europe, 36 European countries, and it's their base and their body in which they have the opportunity to talk conservation around the world, not only within Europe but across the world. And so we've built a really strong base there now where DSC has a presence in Europe, a stronger presence, uh, in addition to like our partnership with CIC. Um, but the opportunity to jointly work in such as we're doing right now, uh, we're, we're co-writing letters together, and we're working with CIC on letters that were sent into the Minister of Tajikistan to really continue to support community-based conservation programs in which these rural communities can build capacity and really sustain conservation because they're supported in many ways. Um, this last year, our very prestigious Peter Hathaway Capstick Award uh, went to a member of one of these hunting conservancies there in Tajikistan associated with uh, many of these very remote mountain, you know, sheep and goat species. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it really is. It's a great way for us to expand our base and capacity as a conservation organization. Awesome. Okay, and that's FACE, okay? So much like everything that DSC does and continues to do on the African side of things, this is uh, basically the, the European version. It really is, you know, and it, and it really is, is beyond that in the sense of uh, if we think of Africa and we think of some of these absolute asinine regulations that come out opposing such as uh, elephant, you know, ivory imports, et cetera. And so we have the opportunity to galvanize jointly with someone like FACE or CIC, even speaking things associated with Africa. You know, recently we've joined with them on some, uh, some opportunities to speak for the need to let Africa speak for itself. Let's come along beside them and let them do that. What a novel thought. Let Africa actually make some regulations for Africa. You bet. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, we can support with needs for funds for science and come along beside and support. Uh, but, you know, the Western world is very bad 
about letting someone speak for themselves. We very quickly want to tell someone how they need to do business uh, and not very quick to listen uh, and trying to help bring those conversations, bring the parties interested together in the room and facilitate those conversations. And these kind of partnerships enable us to do that in a global manner. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay. Uh, and then as far as the IUCN, uh, folks aren't familiar with, with that and, and DSC's role within that organization. Just give us a brief overview. You bet. So the IUCN, again, the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, it really is a global body, really the experts, if you will, from around the world that serve as that science body that informs many capacities. Maybe it's CITES uh, that, that they work with, or it's uh, you know, each, uh, like North America has its own council, of course. I attended some meetings recently in Washington, D.C. associated with that. But it really is an independent body that helps inform science and direct. Uh, again, DSC is a, is a proud member of that. Uh, but one of the very important tenets of the IUCN is that its members are supporters of sustainable use of wildlife conservation. And most recently, we have joined organizations such as FACE, most recently, and some membership that was pledged uh, into IUCN. And we wrote mm-hmm. some opposition letters by some what I would consider uh, animal rights organizations. And we are strongly uh, standing against their membership because, the, again, the, the fundamental tenet is sustainable use. And some organizations have recently tried to, to join I, IUCN, and we're strongly standing against them and doing so in these partnerships. And the importance of that is because this sustainable use model is what is most beneficial to direct science and conservation around the world. And if it's questions or compromise, we massively lose ground quickly. Can I ask which uh, organizations have tried to uh, you know, apply for membership? Yeah, there were a couple that uh, people probably wouldn't be overly familiar with, and I, I really wasn't either. Uh, and, and they're actually kind of small and obscure. But some of these animal rights organizations uh, specifically that w- was interesting as well is when you looked at the website, the mission in which they listed there was different than they listed on their application. For- uh, of course. <laughs> so there was a little cloak and dagger happening there, uh, but yet we remained very vigilant uh, and very driven in what we were all about. Uh, and, and called them out on it in a very, of course, respectful and procedural way. Uh, but we're, we're challenging those organizations that stand against what we support. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned a key word there, respectful, uh, whether it's something on an international level like that, like this, or whether you, the listener out there, is dealing with a hater on, on social media, uh, just don't, don't stoop to their level. Um, you know, just kill them with kindness and facts, and at the end of the day, uh, we're gonna, you know, it's gonna portray us in a better light if we if we go down that road. Very well said. Yeah. You're not gonna win anybody over by that. That's exactly right. No, and you're probably not gonna win them over anyway. But it's the casual observer that's like, well, this hunter's just as immature as that, you know, uh, tree huggers. Well, Corey, uh, the convention date once again is it January 17th through the 21st? That's correct. January 17th through 20. 20. Okay, that's right. Well, perfect. We all put it down on the calendar. We will do this again very soon. I'm sure. That was great, Cable. Thanks so much for your time. All right. Thank you. All right. There he goes, our good friend and Dallas Safari Club Executive Director, Corey Mason. Always great visiting with Corey. Uh, that segment of the show, by the way, brought to you by Rudy's True Texas Style Barbecue and Sendero Seed Company. They've got anything and everything you need to keep a happy and healthy deer herd, including the Dr. Deer-backed Buck Forage Oats. So if you're in planting mode, Give my buddy Rob Hughes a call at one 610 seed Unfortunately, just looking at the clock here, got to go, got to get out of here. Do want to say thanks to Corey as well as our other guest, Dr. Donald Thomas and uh, the trio from Major League Fishing, uh, Kelly Jordan, 
Brent Ayler and Chris Lane. It was great visiting with them as well. Uh, thanks to you, the listener, for being here today. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Yeah, the tunnel wind blows, but I can feel your touch. Gives you through another day. With a long stretch of highway.